If you're a guest with us, we just want to welcome you and just invite you just to jump in and just listen. We're going to be challenged, I believe. At least I'm being challenged myself. And I think it's more about God that is shaping me than maybe perhaps he's shaping you because I know that he is doing something inside of me. And uh, and so we're going to look at some sticky topics. And you have to come each Sunday to see what the topic is for that Sunday. I'm not bannering this one. It's, you know, no big, you know, marketing campaign. But you're going to have to come to see what we're going to talk about. And obviously today we're, we're talking about the idea of loving our Muslim neighbors. Again, you know, God may be stretching us because he is stretching me. I got a phone call. By the way, we're going to Mark chapter 12. If you want to get your finger there, we're going to Mark chapter 12. We're going to spend some time there today as we look at this devotion and see what the Lord wants to say and is saying to us. Uh, we'll be around verse 28 through 34. You have that on the bulletin so you can uh, prepare yourself there. But anyhow, I, uh, I got a phone call and it wasn't unusual. In fact, uh, it's a phone call I receive often. Um, my daughter, we have a special needs daughter. If you're a guest with us and you're not aware of that, we have a special needs daughter. She's going to be 32 next month. And uh, Courtney, as you know, April, Courtney, I mean, she has a personality, okay? I mean, she is the life of the family. And, uh, and so she calls me sometimes once a day, sometimes five, six times a day. And, uh, and, and she wants to be in her life. And, and I love Courtney, Heidi and I. Uh, but the thing is, when she calls is um, she talks about the same thing every time. You know, it's, you know, her sleeping habits, um, you know, her medicine or, uh, you know, who's, you know, doing what or or maybe um, who her current boyfriend is, who she likes, you know. And and so she's kind of stuck in fifth grade, you know. And and so, you know, unfortunately and probably I'm embarrassed to say that I I kind of go on autopilot sometimes, don't I, Heidi? And she sees that and I go on autopilot and I go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And because she's just talking. And then all of a sudden, like Courtney, true to her form, she drops a bomb. Okay, and and uh, so the other day we were on the phone and she drops a bomb and she says, Dad, I decided I'm going to become Muslim. (laughs) And I said, you are. This this is just the other day. She says, why why are you? I said, why are you going to become Muslim? And she says, because I want to wear a scarf. There's a lady in my class and she has this pretty scarf and she gets to wear these pretty scarves. And I want to wear a scarf. And I said, well, honey, um, is there any other reason that you want to be a Muslim? Because that's a different faith. And, 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 and she goes, no, that's it. I just want to wear a pretty scarf. And so I've learned with Courtney just to, you know, just roll with the punches because, you know, she'll forget and we'll move on to a different topic. And so I said, well, that's nice. And I moved on to a different topic. And we started talking about something else. Anyhow, my point is, as I was trying to process, again, dealing with some sticky topics like elephants in the room, You know, conversations that make us maybe too uncomfortable, so we just kind of avoid them, like the idea of what it really means to be a neighbor. What it really means to be neighborly. And I, I, the Lord gave me, Courtney, for many reasons, Heidi and I, Courtney, for many reasons. But one of the things is is to show me, and Courtney, you know, she never meets a stranger. She never meets a stranger and and listen to this. Listen closely to this. She looks at everybody with curiosity and no judgment. (laughs) I mean, she's consistent. Now, don't get me wrong. She'll make a decision. One thing about something. She'll become very judgmental. But but generally, you know, when she meets somebody brand new and they're very different than us. She greets them with tremendous curiosity and no judgment. 
unlike us, we have all these paradigms and all these preconceived notions and ideas. And that's probably why there are elephants in the room when we come to church, because we have all these paradigms and all these, you know, judgmental thoughts. And it makes it so hard for us to really understand and absorb the idea. What it do, what does it mean to really love your neighbor? When we talk about, you know, loving our Muslim neighbor and we could say our Buddhist neighbor, we could say our LGBTQ neighbor, we could whatever people group it might be. We could be talking about that people group in this place and we could insert that people group here because that is the challenge that God is giving us, I believe, in Scripture. And that is to really understand what it means to love our neighbor. So what we're going to do, we're going to wrestle with some of these topics like this one here in the next few weeks. And and let me say this. I want to prepare you just a bit because I'm probably not going to say things the way that you want me to. And I'm probably going to say things that are countercultural, not just to the secular culture that we live in, but maybe even countercultural to our church. And so let me prepare you for that as we we begin to talk about some of these things. And so if we're talking about loving our Muslim neighbors and and that's kind of, you know, the jump off place, I want to, you know, do some introduction um, so that we understand who we're talking about a little bit more. So we understand that Muslims are theists and and most of the religions of the world, you know, have different ideas or different definitions about deity and many deities or many gods. But there are a few that are theists, as we understand, of course, Jewish people, Orthodox Jewism, they are they are, you know, theists. They believe in one God creator. And of course, Christianity, we believe one God creator. Of course, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. So we understand one God as the Trinity. And then in, in Islam, they are also theists. They believe in one one God creator. So there's some similarities. And so what are the similarities between Christianity and, and Islam? Let me share some with you. Obviously, one of them is that, that, that we believe in one God. Another is, did you know that they have a savior? They, they believe uh, in, in the return of their savior. Just as we have a savior, Jesus Christ, they have a savior. He is called the 12th Imam. And the word Imam means like teacher or pastor. And they believe in the 12th Imam and that he will return one day. Just as we believe in scriptures that Jesus Christ will return They believe that the 12th Imam will return one day. That's a similarity. Another similarity, did you know they they believe heavily in the scriptures? And of course, for us, it's it's the, the holy word of God. It's the Bible, the canonized scripture that we embrace. But for Islam, they have the Quran and they believe the Quran, of course, corrects the errors of the Bible. And so that is the priority. That is the standard, the Quran. But they heavily believe in scriptures just like we do. We believe in angels and Islam. They believe in angels. But they believe that angels are slices of pure light. They are, it is light that is so pure that we cannot even imagine how pure the light is. And that angels are made up of this pure light. And of course, we believe, according to scripture, angels are defined as heavenly beings created by God from heaven. And we understand that. There's one more similarity I want to mention. And that is, it's interesting, they believe in a bodily resurrection. Did you know that they believe in a bodily resurrection just as we do as Christians and that those that are believers and those that are born again and we've accepted Christ and we've repented of our sin. We become and we are adopted to be a part of the family of God and we will be resurrected and we understand that we believe that it's a part of our theology. But for those that are the Islamic faith, they they also believe in a bodily resurrection. Of course, those that are resurrected will only be those that are that are Muslim, those 
that have followed and practiced Islam. And of course, there's some filters there and some other laws and rules that go with it. I won't get into that, but they also believe in a bodily resurrection like we do. And so I, I just wanted to kind of lay the foundation of what the similarities are. And in mentioning those similarities, I'm not, I'm not, you know, recategorizing. I'm not, you know, saying they're, they're anything like the Christian faith, but you know, I'm saying lovingly, that we need to understand that there are some similarities. We, we understand that they are theists and they're worshiping one God. And, and so as I'm processing the challenge of loving my Muslim neighbor, my Muslim neighbor, I, I then came up with and want to share with you five things that I love about Muslims. And you can make notes of this. In fact, I have them there in the bulletin for you if you're filling in the blank. But five things that I love about Muslims that I feel an obligation that God calls us to. And the first one is this, is that God loves Muslims. <laughs> I mean, that's the first one. You know, how, how, why do I love Muslims? Because God loves Muslims and Muslims are loved by God in the same way that he loves all people, in the same way that God reaches out to all humanity. We need to recognize whether they're Muslim or whether they're Buddhist or whatever people group, and especially in this greater metropolitan area of San Diego, we understand that there are all kinds of people groups. There's all kinds of diversity that we are confronted with as believers. And God calls us to love those people groups. I'm, I'm singing, we're singing the song this morning. Um, there's a place for you in God's house. The second to the last course that we just sang. There's a place for you in God's house. And as I'm thinking about my message and I'm thinking about the song that we're singing, there's a place for you in God's house. The question that came to my mind is, who is that? Who is that song for? Who is that chorus? What are we saying that about? If we believe that, that there is a place for you in God's house. Do we believe that is true for all humanity? Or do we believe that it's true for only those that are like us? Only those that believe like us. And, and so is it true for all humanity? And, and I mean, if that's true, then there is this, this obligation and this, this understanding that, that we have this image-bearing reality in us that God created us in His image in such a way that there is, yes, this God-shaped hole in us. And this God-shaped hole, and not only those that call themselves Nazarenes, but there is a God-shaped hole in all of humanity and every people group. And God is calling out to that people group and calling that people group unto himself. And we need to recognize that, especially when we think about, okay, here are our values. Because we become our values. We become our values. I mean, hang with me here for a moment. You see, we live in our world, in our culture, and the way that we understand things economically or politically or, or social politically or whatever it is, and, and we become our values. And there's one sure way to begin to adjust that, and that is to go on a mission trip. Because when you go on a mission trip, Don, I mean, it adjusts your value system just a little bit. I'll never forget my wife and I. We went to Guatemala City, and uh, Heidi went about three days earlier than I did, and, and she spent time um, serving and ministering to those that lived in, in the, they lived in the, the garbage. I don't know, what, you, what do you call that? The dump. They lived in the dump, and they had bulldozers. They'd turn the housing over. They'd turn stuff over every three days or so, so disease wouldn't set in. And, and the people that were poor living in the dump, you know, would have to reconstruct their housing. And, and there was literally over, they estimated over 5,000 children 
I'll never forget getting to Guatemala City. We built a, a church there while we were there and had VBS and, and you guys did ministry at the dump. But I'll never forget on the street there as kids came up to me begging. And I'm talking about three-year-old little kids. And certainly there maybe their moms were sending them out, but they came up begging. And man, my heart was just squeezed. And Steve, I'm sure you've seen a lot of that. And it just squeezes your heart as you go into those third world countries. Nothing adjusts our value system like when we go into places like that and we go to the mission field and all of a sudden we begin to, you know, consider and think about culture and different world perspectives and simply just the different economy. See, no matter the people group in God's kingdom, you see, for humanity, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God loved, you know, humankind so much that he became flesh. And he dwelt among us and he loves mankind so much that he, he became flesh for your Muslim neighbor. He became flesh for that one that is so much different the way you think and the way you process life. And we have to believe that because God loved him so he made a place for them in his house. And I, I think that I have probably erred here. I think I have erred because I get so set in my ways. And I need to be reminded that God, as I look at that person, God loves them too. And so I love my Muslim neighbor because God loves them. I love my Muslim neighbor because God calls Muslims or whatever people group that you want to insert there. He calls them unto himself. In fact, God designed all of us to seek after him. And that includes whatever people group it might be in all of humanity. And from we read in scripture from one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. God did this so men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Listen to that. Acts chapter 17. Look at it. Verse 24. We live in him. We live and we move and we have our being. Because he created us in his image and we are these image bearing creations that God made us that we might bear the very image of God. And I need to be reminded as a child of God that I am the image bearer of God when I'm encountering people that are different than myself. Because they are they are fellow image bearers of God. The third thing, the third reason I love Muslims is because Muslims, I mean, think about this. Muslims are our neighbors. And we think about the world and how it's it's kind of pressing in and now we're melding and, and people are getting married and how, you know, the world has shrunk and it's so much smaller. And, and, and we have got to understand this. We have to we have to process this. If we do not, we will miss it as a church. And we'll be by ourselves and we'll shrink and we'll get smaller and smaller because we've not figured out how do we love in this midst of diversity, in the midst of all the polarization that's happening. How do we love our neighbors? I think of the mission statement of the global church of the Nazarene. It's a great statement that we are to make Christ like disciples of the nations. 
We are to make Christ-like disciples of the nations. And it's interesting because that removes all the barriers. It removes all the boundaries and that, that we are called to love our neighbors, whether it's in the next neighborhood over or whether it's in the next city or the next state or the next country or whatever people group it is. We are called, Tony Miller is called to love my neighbor. And I'm to love my neighbor just like my daughter. Without judgment. Muslims are our neighbors. Our Buddhists are our neighbors. The atheists. The atheists are neighbors. What a challenge. I love Muslims because, and this might shake you up just a little bit, but I love Muslims because they have something to teach us. (laughs) I mean, talk about boldly loyal. Talk about decisive in their faith and, and boldness to share, you know, what they believe. And, and they have something to teach us about what it means to live out your faith in, in life, in the world, in reality. And I'm not talking about, you know, those uh, you know, extreme type of, you know, segments of, of people. I mean, but just living their faith. I, I had a great visit with uh, Will, um, Pastor Will. He runs a Bible study here at the church. He's mentoring pastors. He was pastoring the Nazarene church, resigned, and now he started this new ministry. He has this space here on our campus and pastor will and i went to lunch and um, we were talking about my message this morning and we're just kind of processing different things and he says man yeah i agree they just are so boldly loyal i mean they they really show us how to live their faith out and he said my wife and i and they have three little kids have a new baby and two little toddlers he said we have a season past the sea world and we were at sea world and and we were watching another family. Some reason we started watching this other family. And it was another family with like three kids. And uh, they noticed that the father looked at his watch. And the wife and the father looked at each other. And they moved over to a space that was kind of off the beaten trail to a corner someplace. And they laid down their mats. And they knelt. And they prayed. There at the park in SeaWorld. And he was saying, man, I'm just, I was just stunned by their boldness. And I'm wondering how many times have I been too shy or too embarrassed to speak up about Jesus? I'm not talking about in a disrespectful way or in an ugly way or an in-your-face way, but, but I mean times when I could have said in, in a very sensitive way, in a very caring way, in a very passionate way that I could have lived out my faith. And I miss the opportunity. And I look at that and I'm reminded of how their bold commitment and loyalty is something that we can learn from. And and that we are called with no question in Matthew 28, you know, 19 through 21, that we are to make Christ-like disciples. That we're to go into every part of the world and we're to make disciples for the glory of God. Because Jesus Christ came and God became flesh because he loves them. There is a space in his house. As we were just singing, there is a space in his house for them. And I think whether we're buying groceries at the grocery store or whether we're, you know, just, you know, waving at somebody across the street or or wherever we are encountering people that we're reminding ourselves that there is a place in his house for them that we might, you know, share Jesus with them, that we might be a light for them. And I believe that God will use that. I remember in Israel, 
uh, we had a, a group of us went to Israel back in October. You remember and at nighttime we had a speaker, you know, once in a while. And I'll never forget one of those speakers was, I believe, a wife of a missionary. Or maybe he was a teacher. I can't remember. But anyhow, as a wife and she had married her husband. And of course, they went to Jerusalem to live. They're Americans, uh, great believers. They love Jesus. But they were living now in Jerusalem and, and they moved into a neighborhood. And she said all of her neighbors were, were Muslim. And with the right spirit and heart, she wanted to, to befriend them. She wanted to be friends. And, and she learned right away that the wrong way was our faith or my faith versus your faith. She learned that she would never have a bridge. There would never be opportunity. There would never be ministry that would happen if she approached it as my faith versus your faith. And so she learned that they're very hospital, very friendly. In fact, once they became friends, that they were loyal friends and long life friends. But she realized and she learned and she shared this with the group because we asked the question, how do you minister? She said, what I learned is I had to find common ground. I mean, if you're looking for a piece to take home with you today, she said, I I had to learn that I had to find common ground. And I know that they value. I know the Islamic faith values the Old Testament. And so they, they, they believe that part of the scripture, uh, and, and so they highly respect King David. And so she brought up King David, and they talked about King David, and, and, and the life of King David, and the values of King David, and the fa- failures of King David, and the faith of King David, that he had a heart after God's, and that he loved God, and they, they used that. She used that as a common ground, and a common denominator, that, that there might be a relationship that was built, and she tells in her sharing her story that the bridge was built, and they had this common denominator, and as time went on, she had permission to begin to share the story of God. Because she took time to find that common ground and begin to share, you know, something that they, they had, you know, that, that was similar. And, and God used that and, and God is still using that. And she shared that and it was just, it was really groundbreaking for me. But then I, I, I have to come to the, the fifth one. And the fifth one is perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear if you're filling in the blanks there. There does not have to be, and I'm, I want to read this because I don't want to get this wrong. There does not have to be fear in loving those we do not understand or even agree with. Let's go to Mark. Let's go to our text now. We'll go to Mark chapter 12 and let's look at uh, verse 28 through 34. Again, Mark chapter 12, beginning there at verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well, said the teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far. You are not far from the kingdom of heaven. And from then on, no one Dared ask him any more questions. Now, 
This passage really catches my attention more explicitly is the middle part of verse 34 that, that kind of draws my attention where we read, you are not far from the kingdom of God. It's interesting that Jesus, you know, he says that because they're talking, of course, about the greatest commandment and really the, the summation of all of the law. And we understand that. And it's interesting, he says at this point, I mean, when you think about it, it's interesting because they nailed the commandment. I mean, they have and even they say the right words. They were religious folks. They they were. I mean, think about it. Look at the text. They they were authorities of the law and they they were saying it rightly. But yet they they were they were missing the mark. I mean, what Jesus is saying is they are saying that that they're really close. but, But they're missing the mark. Jesus, you see, he's pointing out the non-negotiable, which is the understanding of who our neighbor really is, because that's the part. I mean, that's the piece that they, they were really not getting and not really able to process because of their paradigm, because of the way they're thinking, because how they were stuck. And, and, and he was saying, OK, you're so close, but you've got to get unstuck. You've got to understand what it really means to love thy neighbor And more what God means when he's calling us to being neighborly. To put a point on it, there's some questions we we have to ask. Like, um, here's one. And and this is for us today in in this decade. How do we develop a winsome public faith in the midst of a pluralistic society? I mean, think about that. How how do we, church believers, how do we develop a winsome public faith in the midst of a pluralistic society? Here's another question. How do we be and live inclusive while not abandoning our roots of biblical faith? You know, the biblical and faith tenets that we have in belief in Jesus Christ. I mean, how do we process that, believers, so, so that, that, that we are winsome and, and there is this hunger. I want what you have rather than judgment. I came across a a book titled The Dignity Revolution, The Dignity Revolution by Daniel Darling. And he gives evidence that the younger generation is determined to ask and answer these questions. And he proposes that our opportunity, listen to this, our opportunity lies in the goodness of our faith and in the greater story and God's involvement in humanity and with the understanding that in the midst of us, you know, sharing the story of God and, and how God is interacting and interwoven in all of humanity, that there is the element and there is the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because I understand my, in my experience that, 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 you know, I, I can, you know, go through all kinds of machinations and maneuvering and, uh, you know, outlines of sharing my faith. And I can, you know, take this step and this step. But man, I, I've experienced nothing works without the Holy Spirit. And there's a Holy Spirit in the prevenient grace of God. It's the Holy Spirit that is paving the way and making that road possible so that I share. And maybe it's even a clumsy way that I'm sharing. And maybe it's not even that orderly the way I'm sharing But the Holy Spirit has gone before me and the Holy Spirit has cultivated the soil so that the the word is received. And there is a fruit because of that. And, And I recognize, I recognize that we have to rely upon that Holy Spirit really to, to pave the way so that we are sharing our faith 
with dignity. I think we've lost that. I mean, all we have to do is listen, you know, to the media. All we have to do is, you know, watch what's happening in our world right now. Uh, and, and there's just so little dignity. I mean, dignity to behave with dignity. It's gone out the window. Because if we're living with the Holy Spirit and the voice of the Holy Spirit. I believe we'll be dignified. I'm embarrassed that my wife and I were on a road trip. We drove up uh, for lunch to Lake Arrowhead one day off and we um, were on our way up there and we had to get gas. And I pulled off to a gas station to get gas and I purchased my gas and I went in and there's no restroom. Now, just forgive me. Bear with me. I mean, bear with me, people. I love I love what that we're here. God's doing ministry. But I'm so frustrated that gas stations do not have restrooms. I, I'm so fr- I've never been in a state where they don't have restrooms in the gas station and went and got my gas and spent a hundred bucks on gas and couldn't use the restroom. So I went across the street to another gas station. They didn't have a restroom. I'm like, I'm so frustrated. And so I start, you know, acting out my frustration with the clerk, the guy behind the counter there, a young boy, maybe 20 years old. And I'm just saying how ridiculous this is. And I'm just kind of being I'm being stupid is what I'm doing. And I'm just acting like a real jerk. And and I'm just, you know, uh, and then I made an excuse. So it's not about you. Uh, anyways, so I get in the truck, I drive and I'm ha- I'm around the building now getting ready to pull out. I back up and I said, honey, I got to do something. And I get out of the truck and I go back in and I said, I just was a jerk. Young man, will you forgive me? (laughs) He was great. Oh, he's no problem. He said, don't worry about it. He said, I get it all the time. And he was just so, so wonderful. He forgave me because I was being a jerk. I was not being dignified. I was not being dignified. You see, we're to share our faith with dignity. We can do that. Here's a statement. Being good does not make you Christian. But being Christian means that goodness is a part of the winning part of her faith. <laughs> Let me read that again. Listen to that. Being good does not make you Christian, but being Christian means that goodness is a part of the winning part of our faith. Remember what the scripture says, to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. To be wise as a serpent, gentle as a dove, as we're sharing our faith with that that neighbor, be it Muslim or Buddhist or whoever. I love, and I want to wrap this up, and then we're going to take communion this morning. But with this quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mirror, we have that quote, by the way. Did I lose my? There we are. We have this quote. Here's what C.S. wrote in, in Mere Christianity. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn you will find yourself disliking him less. We've all heard that, but I think we forget it. We forget that we're to treat a Muslim neighbor like that. With dignity. And one day, 
they say, what is it that you have? And you get to share the truth. You get to share Christ. You get to share the love of Jesus that transforms and changes lives. You see, this does not mean that we compromise our faith. This is not saying that we we become tolerant. But it is treating your fellow person with dignity and love. Because that's what Jesus would do. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Our precious Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts this morning. Thank you, Father, for equipping the saints as we began this morning talking about. That, Lord, that you're equipping us, that we might build to, Lord, be faithful to the tenets of our faith in Jesus Christ and, and coming you becoming flesh, God. But I, I know that, Lord, that you have a word and that you have a message and that you created every human being with this internal need. Lord, for you. And so, Father, I just pray that we'd just be willing vessels. That we would share love and goodness with dignity. That you'll be glorified in that. Thank you, Father, for helping us learn how to have this winsome faith. To bring glory to your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for this moment. Lord, now we want to take this communion. To remember what you've done for us, for all of humanity. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.